0: This is The Author Biz Podcast with Stephen Campbell, session number 25. Welcome to The Author Biz Podcast. I'm Stephen Campbell, and each week I'll bring you interviews, information, and insights focused on the business of being an author. You can find the episode show notes, links to everything mentioned in the show, and lots more information at theauthorbiz.com. Greetings, and welcome to The Author Biz, where we focus on delivering actionable information to help you run your business as an author. Wherever you are, however you listen, thanks for spending some of your time with me today. Happy New Year! Are you one of those people who loves the start of the new year? I am, and I'm super excited to turn the calendar and move on to 2015. I've got some really interesting shows lined up for the first few months of the year, including today's show. Where we're talking about using the skills you've developed as an author to sustain your writing career. My guest is Chris Orcutt, who's been supporting himself as a professional writer for nearly 20 years by taking on work as a freelance writer, but not in the way you might expect. He's become a specialist in writing speeches and, as you'll hear in this interview, even screenplays for corporations. Chris is also a fabulous author whose latest book, a mystery titled A Truth Stranger Than Fiction, was released on January 1st. Like most of us, he'd prefer to spend 100% of his time working on his own books. But we all know how unusual that is for a writer these days. Chris is happy to have the freelance gigs he gets for a number of reasons. First, the money helps to pay the bills, but he takes the approach that he's learning something valuable, something that he can use from every single assignment.
1: I get the better end of the deal, you know. I get the better end of the deal. I give them the best I can give them. They pay me, but I take away from all of this knowledge that I am then able to apply to my fiction writing.
0: Chris and I will also get into things like how small, mundane opportunities can turn into lucrative gigs, the creative value of working with limitations and the evolution that he's gone through from a do-it-all-myself type author to one who sees the value in developing a team. I think you're going to really enjoy this interview, so let's get right to it. My guest today is author Chris Orcutt, the author of the Amazon number one best-selling Dakota Stevens mystery series, the third of which, A Truth Stranger Than Fiction, was released on January 1st. Chris has written professionally for over 20 years as an award-winning journalist, script writer, playwright, technical writer, and even as a speechwriter. Chris, welcome to The Author Biz.
1: Thank you very much for having me, Steve. It's a pleasure.
0: I will uh, let listeners know up front that I'm a big fan of your writing. I came across your books from a blog post that you wrote on editing uh, maybe a year and a half ago right saw that you'd written some mysteries downloaded a sample of the first dakota stevens book was hooked on the by the by the middle of the second page and uh, read the first two and then connected with you and started badgering you for a third book and uh, and we've become friends from there so uh, i full disclosure i'm a fan of chris's writing and his third book a truth stranger than fiction i think is the best
1: in the dakota stevens series chris tell us about it I, the way I would characterize a truth stranger than fiction is, it, you know, it's a, uh, it's a PI mystery featuring uh, PI Dakota Stevens, who's based in Manhattan and his Watson is a Ukrainian American chess grandmaster named Svetlana Krush um, She's very beautiful and brilliant. And the two of them, you know, are something of a modern Holmes and Watson and in a truth stranger than fiction, what I was interested in doing was exploring the, the character of Dakota and his world a little more closely. Um, And, you know, this is the first case of, you know, of the three books and in the backstory, this is the first and first case where it's truly been personal. And, uh, you know, I don't want to say more beyond that. I mean, you um, surely know, you know, where I'm going with that, but in, in the novel, it's, he uncovers this world of interconnected uh, foreign spies, fangirls, uh, mobsters, murderers, there are government bureaucrats and corporate profiteers, but this all begins with a seemingly simple missing persons case. Young woman shows up at the office and, you know, I was doing a kind of an homage to the old Chandler uh, novels and, uh, you know, even, uh, a Maltese Falcon, you know, the Sam Spade behind the desk in the office and in comes the dame and (laughs) Dakota actually has this, you know, internal monologue of, you know, she sounded blonde on the phone and he's imagining this long legged, gorgeous blonde and in walks this young woman and I don't want to give too much away, but she's anything but, but the older, tall blonde that he imagined. And very quickly, even before Dakota has a chance to say, yes, okay, I'll take the case, and the case is finding uh, this young woman's brother who has disappeared, and he is a best-selling science fiction author. Even before he has a chance to take, a ca- take the case, this horde of different groups of men starts showing up, and they're all looking for the brother. And they include mobsters, they include a couple of uh, just brute tough guys, um, FBI agents show up. And so you have all of these different groups looking for, for the brother, and it begs the question of what the hell is this guy into? And so from there, uh, Dakota and the, the client and Svetlana set off to find the brother and in the course of trying to find the brother, other things happen, and the case takes a radical turn. And I don't want to say much more about it, but the bottom line is that it, it's the most personal case of his career. And at its root, Dakota uncovers a, a secret that literally has the power to change the world. Um, and I know that, you know, those things are always hyped up, and, and, but... As you know, having read it, that it's uh, it's not a hyped up thing. It's it's based in science. So uh, that's you know that's probably the best summary I could give of the book.
0: And it, it's it's one of the great mysteries of the book is what is this whole thing that this science fiction author was working on that that got him in this pickle? And I read yeah. a lot of mysteries, as as you noted, and part of the fun of a mystery is is trying to figure out things like this and i i didn't have a clue i didn't have a clue until you finally laid it out so well done well thank you i mean and
1: that means a lot to me coming from from a reader like you steve and i'm and i'm not saying that to flatter you i don't know anyone with the possible exception uh of my friend Jason, who has read as many uh, mysteries as you have, um, and so it's a real accomplishment as as a mystery writer or a, an author who writes mysteries to write something that stays ahead of a reader that is, you know. Has been around and has read them all. You know, I've been all over the world and and I've read a million mysteries. I'm thinking of that line from The Godfather. Now, you, um, you, you mentioned your friend Jason. Yes, and
0: uh, Jason is also a filmmaker. If Absolutely. I'm thinking of the right Jason, and Jason, Jason Scott, Jason did this fabulous. And I'm going to post this in the show notes, which will be at theauthorbiz.com forward slash Chris. Um, but I'm going to post this short film that he did of you and your writing style. And I, we'll just cover this really quickly because we have a lot of other things to, to cover. But basically, you prefer to write your first drafts with a pencil. Yes, And I do. He, I do. he did this great video of you at your desk writing and musing, and it really captures you. It's like a little three-minute video, beautifully done, and it's, it, it's really cool.
1: Well, for the record, that you know, I I loathe the staged thing. You know, I really do. I mean, I loathe the, um, I loathe the yeah, the affected author photo of you know the hand in the chin on the chin. I mean, it, these these poses that are just not natural. And for the record, that was not at all staged. Um, he brought in yes, he brought in a light. Um, first of all, he kind of surprised me with the whole thing, saying, you know, I'd like to come over and film you. I got this new camera. I'd like to try it out. I've always been his guinea pig that way. Um, and he set it up, but I said, well, look, I, I truly do have to write. You know, I do have something that I have to write. And he said, that's great. You just write, pretend I don't even exist. And so we did that for a little while, and then he asked me some questions, as you noted in at the at the end of the film. One of the things Jason does so well, I mean, uh, besides besides making interesting these really arcane uh, arcane subjects and situations. I mean, come on, really? A a, a guy writing in pencil? (laughs) I mean, you know, if you were going to pinch that to somebody, they'd be like, you know, they'd be throwing the guy out the window. But he has this ability beyond making these kind of tedious subjects uh, interesting. He does this great stuff with voiceover. He knows just when to... uh, have counterpoint between the image on screen and what's being said over the image. So, you know, he's not just a great filmmaker, he's a great editor. But it's good to have friends with talent. Now, let's, let's talk a little bit about writing. You
0: have been a professional writer for 20 years, and one of the focuses of this show is the business of being a writer. Yes. And so you have been in business as a writer, not necessarily a novelist, for 20 years. You've supported yourself as a journalist, as a script writer, as a technical writer, even as a speech writer. So let's Absolutely. talk for a bit about the idea of using your skills as a writer to fund your desire to become a novelist.
1: You know, I, I can talk to that because I've done a lot of it. And, you know, the thing is, Steve, that besides garnering money from, from writing for hire. Um, the, the unofficial name of my company, by the way, is have pen will travel. (laughs) And that, that, comes from a fifties, uh, fifties show, uh, Western show with the this character paladin. Uh And the idea is that they're having trouble out in this town and somebody shows up at his hotel in San Francisco and, you know, they say, we're having trouble, Paladin, and, and so he goes to the town. In his case, it's have gun will travel, and he shows up with a gun. Um, and I just loved the whole have gun will travel thing. And I said, hmm, pen kind of rhymes with gun. <laughs> so, you know, that's been the unofficial title of my, my company. Um, and, you know, besides garnering money, besides earning money from doing this, The thing that I've discovered is that writing is writing is writing. And all of these, uh, you know, whether it's been journalism, writing some for magazines, as you mentioned, technical web writing, etc. All of these things have something to teach you as a writer that you can then apply to your fiction writing. And, uh, you know, in each case, I've learned a number of different lessons uh different things that I've learned along the way and and if you'd like to you know talk about them I'd be glad to share them well let's just pick a specific job
0: say let's let's say someone hired you to do x whether that's uh, writing a speech or whatever you you they hire you for this as as a freelancer more than likely uh you get paid for that you bill them they pay you and you continue to develop your skills. So just pick an example and, and just walk us, walk me through um, an example from beginning to end, what,
1: what the job was and what you learned. Okay, and how it, how it works? Yeah. Okay. Um... Well, I recently, and by recently, maybe seven years ago, got into, uh, speech writing executive speech writing. Not everybody asks me, have you written for politicians? You know, mm-hmm. as I, as I see them like slipping their hand under their coat, like they're going to pull a gun on me or something. <laughs> and I, I say, no, I, I haven't written for politicians. I don't care to, but, uh, I, I got an opportunity to begin uh, writing speeches for executives through uh, another friend of mine, this man, Mark Foster, who runs a multi-event management company. And one of his primary clients was, and still is, a major soft drink uh, company. And I'm really not Legally allowed to, you know, because I can't. It can't be uh, construed as I'm talking for the company or whatever. But we can imagine. Yeah, we can imagine. imagine. It's there's a you know there's a major soft drink company based here in New York. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) Okay. Um. And basically, you know, he said to me, "Well, listen, they're having their annual operations meeting, and they are." Completely changing their their focus in the coming uh, in the coming fiscal year, and they they're bringing in all of their salespeople, and they're they've got an entirely new model for uh, sales and warehousing, and they were doing these things with robotics and warehousing. And he said, "I need you to come in and write speeches for all of the executives, and also." Oh, and he's like, and oh, by the way, we'd like love to do a live play um, <laughs> where we show the history of the company through this play, and we want the star of it to be uh, the founder of the company, and and that's when I said, well, what we could do is we could contrast his starting the company and the problems he was encountering a hundred years ago with what it is to, you know, run the company in modern day. And so, you know, you go in um, and you meet with the executives. And one of the the key things in in speech writing, and this is something that I've become highly attuned to uh, in doing this, is voice. Uh, Speech writing is all about writing in somebody else's voice. So one of the first things that I do is... I meet with them and just listen to them speak and will often give them a little script ahead of time and ask them to read from it. It's a couple hundred words and I record them reading it and I time them reading it. And the reason you do this is you want to get a sense of how many words per minute, you know, they speak at a natural pace. And then you have to factor in. I've learned. I learned over time. You need to, you know, uh, change some of that based on the fact that it's going to be on a teleprompter, and you have to account for a pause and nervousness. Um, but you know, you you work with them at first, and you you also figure out what are their trouble words. What what are you know words or clauses that they will stumble around. You find out if they have a stutter or not. I once, uh, in, in, actually it was in this first assignment, I was writing for a, in uh, an, an executive who could not say any words with ask a S K in, in, in the word. So that meant no ask, no task, no mask, no bask. And, you know, this sounds kind of simplistic, but this is what it comes down to because you you have to you want to make this executive look as good as possible. And you know, one of the ways you do that is by giving them words to to speak that are going to be natural and comfortable for them to speak. And so I spent a lot of time with that executive and we wrote around this, you know, difficulty he had with with a few words. It's taking, you know, how they speak and then you have to add into that, you have to layer into that what they want their message to be. And doing this for corporations and executives mm-hmm. You know, it's like day by day, you know, you go in one day, you go in Monday, you know, we're going to, you know, we're going to open up a factory over here and we're going to robotics two days later. Now the the robotics thing is dead. We're not doing it. Uh, The factory burned down. Uh, That guy got (laughs) fired. We're starting over. And that was a shocker to me. You know, that, that was kind of a shocker to me that you, you, you know, because as a, as a fiction writer, you know, you get an idea of the world that you're creating here and not a hell of a lot from the outside world is going to change that. But in, in these circumstances, you know, anything can come, you know, the, the equivalent of a tsunami comes across the business landscape and it changes everything. Well, to, to, you know, I'll cut to the chase here. We hired Broadway actors for the play and a really lovely set. I mean, we're talking big budget here. I mean, I think people would be shocked to find out what, what kind of money uh, corporations invest in this sort of thing, in these events. Um, and, and this company is very conservative that way. You know, we're not talking Enron here, Um, but you know, we did rehearsals and everything. And then we went out to Scottsdale and the, the junket was in two parts, first in Scottsdale, second in um, Orlando. And so, you know, there was the, you know, the play aspect of the program. And I ended up writing the entire program, which is, you know, it was probably better than 100 some odd uh, scripted pages uh, between the play and the various speeches by each of the executives. And I love the challenge, Steve, of, again, voice. You know, having to convey a message, convey what they wanted to say, but with the added challenge of making each one of them sound different so that anybody in the audience would go, yep, that's Mike. That's Mike right there. (laughs) You know, you know, and that's one of the things you figure out is, is your client, is this person a raconteur? Is this person, you know, naturally funny and kind of likes to tell jokes. And so, you know, you make his speech a little more humorous. Is the person dry? And, and, I love that challenge of matching the words and the rhythms. That's the other thing that you pick up in this. You become highly attuned to the rhythms of people's speech. Um, I love the challenge of trying to match that to the executives. And so uh, that first occasion, this is going back seven, almost eight years, uh, seven, eight years ago, uh, was a home run. And the, the problem was though, Steve, that it, it raised the bar, you know, so both for that company and other companies, uh, I did work for subcontracting through my, my friend Mark, you know, it kind of raised the bar, but, uh, well, in what way, what do you mean it raised the bar? Well, it, um, word got around among his clients. They, you know, both at the soft drink company and other corporations in this area were got around that, you know, uh, this company, uh, Mark's company did great work, you know, gosh, you know, they brought in a speech writer and they had a Broadway play. We want to play, <laughs> you know, we want to play. Why, why don't we get a play? And uh, I don't have somebody writing this stuff for me. I, I don't want to be writing it. And, the the trouble is that you know the the bar gets raised and it's you know somebody says gosh that was great and then so I, and maybe the bar didn't really get raised i mean maybe i'm just one of those people who always wants the next thing to be better i having known you
0: uh, for as long as i've known you which is not that long but long enough to know that yes you are definitely one of those people you set the bar high and then you expect it to be uh, significantly higher the next time. So y- you got this gig, and this is a great gig. It's not the "we'll pay you twenty-five dollars to write us a blog post" gig. This is no. you're getting a pile of money to do this work, and 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 you're 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 using your story creation muscles. And you're combining their message and the skills you have as an author and developing additional skills and voice and things like that to create something, and you get paid a bushel full of money for it. That's a pretty good gig
1: i it is and i and, yeah, I hope I never sound ungrateful because I've always been grateful for these opportunities um, it, it, it's kind of taken me aback. You know, it came out of nowhere. Um, I mean, I'm going to be uh, be perfectly honest with you that um, in the months prior to when I first began to do this, uh, my wife and I had been living um, down in the Bronx and I had been teaching at uh, City University for a few years as an adjunct mm-hmm. and focusing exclusively on my fiction and we both decided this is well after 911 we both decided around 2005 that you know we're a little tired of the relentless nature of of uh, of Manhattan and so we moved upstate to a town where I coincidentally went to high school, Millbrook, New York. Um, I love it here, and I love the people here, and my my wife came to love the people here. But the reason I mention all of this is that, you know, when I first came up here, you know, it's not, you know, there was no glamour. You know this. This came out of nowhere, and I was actually I was doing odd jobs mm-hmm. because that's my that's my commitment to my writing, Steve. It's like you know what, my writing is number one, and so I was, you know, I was doing uh, odd jobs and and. Uh, yard work and that sort of thing for a number of the wealthy people around here. So you're like Uh,
0: the struggling actor in Hollywood or in New York City that uh, they want to act in their waiting tables. So you you want to spend your nights working on your novels? and
1: Yeah, that was my equivalent of waiting tables, Mm -hmm. uh, which I also did. I Mm -hmm. did that years and years ago. I was terrible at it, but that's a whole other story. Um, But it was like... uh, You know, one of my one of my idols in in uh, on TV and, you know, a lot of people think these shows are corny, but I I don't care. I always loved Little House on the Prairie Mm -hmm. and, you know, Pa was always willing to do whatever he had to do to provide for his family and you know pa you know if it's good enough for pa to go out and uh, you know dig a ditch or you know cut down wood or you know i did a lot of wood splitting and i've done a lot of wood splitting over time but but i'm getting off the topic here getting back to the well the i think i think biz. that
0: actually is the topic i mean the topic is really you had this skill as a writer you wanted to develop as as a writer and as a novelist and become successful as a novelist, and you used whatever resources you had available to you, including your skills as a writer, to make a living. And there are a lot of us that are in that same boat.
1: Yeah, and I mean, I think the thing is, there's, you know, this opportunity came out of nowhere, and if it can happen for me, it. I think it's capable of happening for a lot of writers. You know, there's that old saying that opportunity often comes dressed in work clothes. Mm -hmm. And you know, this, opportunity came dressed very in heavy work clothes. You know, Mark was like, now look, I just want you to know these guys, really nice guys, but they can be a pain in the ass. They're hard to work for. You're going to work long hours. I'm like, well, you're paying me hourly, right? (laughs) Sure. Okay. I'm on board. (laughs) You know, none of this, none of this, you like, you give me a lump sum up front and then I'm working 14,000 hours on something. Um, you know, worked at, at an hourly rate, a very good hourly rate, but, um, that came out of nowhere. And if it can happen for me, you know, any aspiring writer or journeyman working writer should keep his or her eyes open because these things have a way of coming out of nowhere. And, you know they'll come disguised in work clothes. You know, it, gosh, you know I don't I don't want to write the programs for this school play. I I don't want to write the op-ed piece for the local newspaper. I don't want to, you know, I I, I don't want to write a, a short speech for my town councilman. But that's the thing. It's like these have these things have a way of snowballing. And you take that one little opportunity, and you just parlay it, and you parlay it, and you parlay it, and you you take what you learned from that, and you apply it to the next one, and so you know by the time you've done four or five of these things, you can say you've done four or five of these things, and that makes that makes uh, the would be employer um, who's hiring you as a, a freelancer willing to hire you. They're more willing to hire you because, gosh, you got experience now. And they're willing to pay you more. And that, that's what you, what you
0: just said is a fabulous point. The idea of taking on something that you don't necessarily want to do just to get paid, and yeah. doing a great job of it, being noticed, and then being able to do it again at maybe a higher level. And then three or four months later, an even higher level. And all of a sudden, you're making enough money that you can spend half of your time instead of none of your time working on your novel.
1: Yeah, and and again, you know, in every case, too, you know, here's the thing. It's like, Steve, you, you, you get paid, and the money's great. I mean, the money is it can be terrific sometimes it's better than others but the money's wonderful the experience of doing it is wonderful um some you know some tasks are some writing assignments are a little more uh esoteric or less interesting than others i've i've done some ghost writing of of articles for people um that's you know that's okay you know you write an article that they then submit under their own name um, and you know for for them to develop a, a publishing background these are usually executives who were really too busy to to you know develop. Um, You know, they're not going to become, they're not going to run off and write for National Geographic or (laughs) Forbes tomorrow, but, you know, to be able to put down some thoughts that they have and then have a professional come in and clean them up for them, you know, each of them has something different to teach you, and I just talked about speech writing, Um, but there are an awful lot of opportunities in the corporate world for script writing, And I've done quite a bit of that as well, where you're writing in-house video scripts, uh, scripts for training systems where, you know, a voiceover actor is working from your script, um, recorded uh, talks, you know, kind of... uh, You know, the sit-down format talks between a host and and executives, etc. There's a lot of those opportunities as well. And the thing is, again, you know, the money is great, but I get the better end of the deal, you know? I get the better end of the deal. I give them the best I can give them. They pay me, but I take away from all of this knowledge that I am then able to apply to my fiction writing. And in the case of script writing, uh, you know, for, for corporations, you know, they're often on these esoteric subjects, you know, um, uh, robotics in, in warehousing in 2014, you know, yesterday, today, tomorrow, you know, it's, it's, it's just, it's the most obscure thing you can think of. But, Doing this stuff for corporate clients, what it does is it, it builds your muscle, your, your truly your imagination muscle, and it, you build this muscle toward channeling your imagination down a certain path. You know, um, Picasso believed he had periods where he would only work with, in one color, and he often said, you know, if you have the ability to use five elements, use four. And if you can use four, use three. And his whole idea was that by limiting yourself, you forced yourself to be more creative. And what I've discovered is that, this, uh, these limitations that are imposed on you doing this kind of corporate work, you know, it's got to convey a certain message. It's got to, uh, ascribe to company policy. It, you've got a certain budget. Oh, and by the way, we can't hire too many actors. You get two actors, not 12. <laughs> um, it, you know, and it, the list goes on and on and, and having those limitations, what it does is it trains you almost in like I, I liken it to like MacGyver. You know, remember MacGyver from the '80s show? You know, he could take a milk carton, mm-hmm. a rubber band, uh, a bird feeder, and a battery, and make a speedboat out of it. You know, and that's what you have to do. You're you're limited in the elements that you have to use, and so you have to become incredibly imaginative. As to how you can piece all of these elements together into a, something that's compelling to watch, but is also going to convey the message that the client wants to convey. That's a great lesson, and and let's use this MacGyver analogy that you just use
0: as a sort of a pivot point to transition back into the business of writing fiction. What you're right. doing now, primarily now, you're sort of a MacGyver, a MacGyver yourself. Um, you do your own website, you do yes. your own book trailer, you, 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 you wrote the script, which was fabulous for your book trailer. I, I have to say, I'm not typically, let's say 99 out of 100 times I'm not a fan of book trailers, but the book trailer for uh, this new book, A Truth Stranger Than Fiction, is, uh, is really good. And you wrote the script for that. So you do a lot of these things yourself, as I a, a Maciver, and and we're all like that, especially in the beginning. But I'm beginning to see as your career develops, as as an author, and you're selling more books, that you're beginning to outsource more of this and bringing in more expertise. So let's talk about that transition from do it all Maciver to building a team. Right,
1: right. Um, yeah, I first of all, thank you about the 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 book trailer. I I did that on a lark. I, uh, I've always been interested in films and, uh, and I hate, I hate the things. I mean, I, I, I don't think I had ever seen one all the way through. I just, you know, I would like start to watch it and it was this often it's this music that just pounds at you and you know, the images don't stay on the screen, et cetera. The the bottom line is that, um, I'm kind of surprised at myself that I I made one and wanted to make one, but I did and and enjoyed it. Um and I have begun to to build more of a team around myself. I mean, I've got I've had here for a few years a uh, a woman in the Silicon Valley who designs my book covers. My book formatter, um, ebook formatter, and, and print book formatter designer. And, and, you know, I've learned a hell of a lot goes into this. You know, mm-hmm. this is, and I did, the, the, did this stuff for my first Kindle book, a real piece of work. I did it myself. And the result, I think, was pretty, pretty good. But, damn it, you know, I didn't want to do that again. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's so complicated and it's just not in my wheelhouse. And, you know, that's what for me, it all comes down to Steve is, is finding, figuring out, you know, what your strength is and focusing on your strengths and letting other people handled the stuff that either you don't like to do or that you're not good at. So also as a part of my, you know, ad hoc team, um, my wife handling, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, t- recently taken over a lot of my publicity, um, and she's one of a group of about four people who, uh, serve as kind of my advanced readers, Um, And basically what I do is, you know, when I get the book near finished or at a place where I am very satisfied with it, I have this group of readers read it, and they each read it from different points of view, and I have them looking for different things, and, you know, then I listen to their feedback and take their feedback seriously. One of, one of these people is a, uh, a fiction editor for a, for a literary journal. Um, But, you know, this is, you know, they're part of the team. I've got my best friend, Jason, who has become my ad hoc uh, photographer and, you know, video Boswell, Um, (laughs) although he's got far more things on his plate to do but you know you're absolutely right you know over time what you discover is that first of all you as much as you might want to do it all you you can't do it all there's just not enough time and what i've chosen to do is focus on the words that that's what i do best and that's where where i've you know chosen to focus my energies um and you know then i also have to reserve enough energy to to do what we're doing now and and to be able to talk enthusiastically about my work and do the publicity stuff um, I did the you know I did the trailer just because I, I love to do the trailer Um and it didn't take that long, and it, it, I was at a place where I had, you know, I'm one of those people, Steve, that, Jesus, I need something to do. I mean, I mean I've mean, i got to have And, you know, I wander around, there's this old saying, you know, a writer without something to write, or a writer who isn't writing is just a, I think it was Kafka who said it, is just a... You know, a poor excuse for a human being, just miserable. And that's what I'm like. If I'm not writing or polishing what I'm writing, when I get done with the thing, I'm just grasping at anything. Hey, a oh, trailer? Oh, why not? No, I've got to, you know, how difficult can it be? And, well, I discovered pretty damn hard. Um, but I'm just one of those people that needs something to do. But, you know, thankfully, I've learned to give over those parts of the process that I am not as good at or not good at at all and focus on the ones that I am good at and that I love.
0: And for a brief period of time, we're recording this before your book um, becomes available at Amazon. When this goes live, the book will be available uh, so you 'll be starting to do promotion, so you 've you or your wife or someone has coordinated all of this for you, so there will be a period of time where you 're doing a lot of outreach and promotion for the book, and then it 's back to work probably
1: yes i mean in and, and I continue to write even now you know if i if i didn 't write every day i'd literal i would go insane i mean i I have to write something even if it 's a page. But, you know, it's uh, we're doing something different this time. You know, uh, my wife is brilliant. I mean, utterly brilliant. And what I've learned over time is to trust Mm -hmm. her and the other brilliant people around me. It's taken a long time to get here, but I've learned to trust in other people. And at the top of that list is my wife, Alexis, who has, you know, in the case of this new book, she, you know, did the research and she hired a publicity company and, uh, you know, that publicity company is going to be, you know, doing all it can to, you know, get the word out about this new book and me and we'll see how it goes, but I'm, I'm learning to ease up on the reins a little bit and not try to control it all. I want to mention that my, my book, uh, the book uh, designer, you know, both print book and the ebook, uh, but she, her name is Lisa Despain and she has a company called ebook converting. And she brings to this field you know all kinds of experience in traditional publishing and she's just very very good so i i wanted to make sure i mentioned her
0: and i will link to her in the show notes as well as everything else we have talked about let's wrap up with one final question this yes. is a show about business yes. but i know knowing you you're a you're a craft guy you're improving your craft is really important to you uh, what's, how do you define success for yourself with this particular book or, or your career as a writer?
1: Well, obviously, I mean, the, 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 you know, the classic or the, the cliche idea is, uh, sales. I mean, every writer would love to be selling more and have a, a wider audience and, and maybe that will come for me in time. Um, But I really define it by, I have a vision with each book. And with each book, I raise the bar for myself. And if with each book, what I write comes close to matching my original vision, I mean, it's never the same, you know, because it morphs over time. And and the result, you know, Michelangelo used to always you know, be sad over the fact that, you know, none of his artwork ever matched up to the vision that he had originally. But if, you know, my modest little works can come close to resembling what I originally had in mind for them. um, And I have written something that is, engaging and entertaining to the reader, but also elevating, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not content with just telling a, uh, you know, spinning a good yarn, a a good tale. And those things are important. They're important to me uh, equally, but I'm also interested in elevating through, through writing, elevating the reader, uh, you know, uh, using a beautiful language, you know, a, a higher aesthetic. Um, I want readers of my work to, to finish the book and feel, you know, gosh, I, I feel like a slightly better person for having read that, or, you know, I'm going to look at, I'm never going to look at this thing the same way again. You know, he, he's changed me just a little bit and that, you know, if I can have readers feel that and express that, then I think that's success for me.
0: Chris, what's the best way for people to stay in touch with you?
1: Well, I have a contact page on my website in, in which I say, uh, you know, I have a couple of email addresses on there. Um, I'm, also, I, I'm also on Facebook. I have a author page on Facebook. I'm also on Twitter as at Chris Orcutt, uh, C-H-R-I-S-O-R-C-U-T-T. And your website
0: Uh, is orcutt.net.
1: Right. O-R-C-U-T-T dot net.
0: Chris, thank you very much for your time today. I've enjoyed it. I always enjoy speaking with you. I always enjoy reading your books. And I highly recommend them. If you like, and I'm sure you will, A Truth Stranger Than Fiction, the first book in the series is a real piece of work. And the second is The Rich Are Different. Thanks for listening to The Author Biz Podcast at www.theauthorbiz.com. If you'd like to find out more about the show or anything we mention, just check out the website. You can also subscribe to the podcast at iTunes. If you have comments or suggestions, please leave them at the site, or you can email me at authorbiz at gmail.com. Please join us again next week for another informative episode.